Well, good morning. Still morning, right? Um, my name is Ben. We got another nine minutes of morning, according to my clock. Um, my name is Ben, and I'm a pastor, one of the pastors at New King Church. And it is um, in line with a theme that you have seen again and again today that we use the, the weak things are used by God. Um, I, it was given to me to discuss with you. Um, the command to pursue God with all of our minds, to love God with our minds. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you brought a Bible, please get your Bible out um, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got a Bible on your phone, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to be starting out in verse 17. Um, we'll have the verses on the screen, but I would like for you to be able to follow along in your own Bible if you can. And... Um, and I have one simple overarching conviction that I want to pass on to you through this sermon. And that is that in order to grow as a Christian, in order for you to grow in your love for Jesus, you must give yourself to a life of learning. You must give yourself to a life of learning. And so here is my goal with this sermon. I want to convince you today um, to decide that you will pursue Jesus passionately with your mind. When you leave here, um, your, our prayer has been that you're going to walk away with several different things, potentially at least one big thing that you know the Lord is saying to you very specifically that you are going to go and follow through with in obedience to what he's saying. And um, it may be that this, this sermon, this talk, is going to say something specific to you, and that has been my prayer all week long. Actually, for weeks leading up to this, that's been my prayer, that you wouldn't be um, content with where you are in your walk with the Lord, but that you would desire more. And so... Um, we're going to be looking at this command that we've talked about a few times now in Mark 12, 30, that, that we're commanded to love our God with all of our mind. And so pray with me, and then we'll dig into this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Father in heaven, God, we um, come to you, we, we open up. The word, and we expect you to speak to us. Um, your word is powerful, it's living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. And it, it, we trust, Lord, that you want to use it right now to pierce our hearts, um, to speak to us, to stir us up um, in, in specific ways. So, Lord, would you use me? Um, right now, and would you use your word right now, and Holy Spirit, would you prepare every heart for what you want to say, and open up our ears to hear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to work through this passage together in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to work through it verse by verse, line by line, um, but I want to give you a little bit of context. So um, Ephesians was written by Paul to the church in the church is probably in um, Ephesus, and he's writing from prison in Rome, probably around um, AD 60. 
And the book of Ephesians is phenomenal. I've been digging into it in my personal quiet time for the last few weeks. Um, The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul just unpacks the glory of the gospel. He, He just He says, this is all that is available to you because you are in Christ. And you need to be reminded of this and you need to believe it. And so he, he, this is the way that Paul works. He starts with the gospel before he gets into what you do. And that's exactly what he does, what he does in the book of Ephesians is that he begins with the gospel. He begins with, here's who you are, Christian, now that you have believed in Christ. You are completely new. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You were chosen. You were adopted. You were redeemed. You've, made, you've been made holy and blameless in the beloved. And Jesus, he's been exalted. He's been raised from the dead and he's ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And then in chapter two, he goes on to say, actually, though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God has made you alive together with Christ and you are actually seated with him in the heavenlies right now, Christian. That's who you are. And he unpacks all of that for for three chapters. And then we get to chapter four, and he's going to begin to tell us what we do now in light of this truth, these incredible truths that we've learned through the gospel. And that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 17, here is how this section begins. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I'm going to go ahead and just read this section. Read this with me. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the passage we're going to dig into. And and maybe you saw, as we read through there, um, some key words that are related to the mind, the intellect, right? He, He says that we're not to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding because they're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance, That's in them. In verse um, 20 and 21 are like a hinge point in this passage. He says, But that's not the way you learned Christ. And then verse 21, you were taught as the truth is in Jesus. Um, Verse 22, your old self is corrupt through deceit, through deceitful desires. But we need to be renewed in our minds. You see this theme throughout this. So here's where we're going to begin. And we're going to just walk through this verse by verse. And I hope you walk away saying, I 
need to pursue Jesus more passionately with my mind. Okay? Verse 17, he says that we're not to walk as the Gentiles. He's talking about people who, who do not know God um, as they do in the futility of their minds. Now, that word futility, if you um, look at the Greek, and all I did, and, and you can do this too, is I use blue letter Bible. I, I look up the, um, the word there, and, and that word means uh, to be devoid of truth. So here's what Paul is saying. You must no longer have minds devoid of truth. That's, that is the command that's over this entire section. So, so the rest of it is unpacking what, what that's going to look like. He's going to tell us why not, and then he's going to tell us what to do. So you must no longer have minds devoid of truth. He, he says that he testifies in the Lord. You see that? Now, he doesn't need to say that for his command to have authority. He is an apostle of Jesus. So all of his writings have that authority. He, his writings are commands from Jesus, but it's like a way of emphasizing, guys, listen up with what I'm about to say. This is really, really important. I want to I highlight this. You must no longer have minds empty of truth. You must not. Why? Well, that's the way that people who don't know God walk. That's the way that people who don't know God live. And you must not live that way. He says in, uh, in verse 18, they are darkened, darkened in their understanding. Have you ever opened your eyes in the middle of the night? You, you had a dream or something, or you don't even know. You just woke up and you looked out into a room. Maybe you're sleeping somewhere unusual. And you thought you saw something, but it wasn't really there. Anybody ever had that happen? You your mind plays tricks on you in the dark. In the dark, you can only see shapes and shadows. You cannot see the substance of what's really there. And he's saying, this is what it's like for those that don't know God, for those who, whose minds are empty of what's really true. You, you're darkened in your understanding. Um, Truth all through Scripture is described as light. The truth, it illuminates what's real. It shows us what's real about the world and about God and about ourselves. And until He illuminates our minds with truth, equips our minds with truth, we cannot see the world correctly. He goes on to say, um, that, that, that that results in an alienation from the life of God, a, a separation from the source of life. God made all that is, and He sustains all that is. Life comes from Him. And He says that without knowing the truth, we are alienated from life. We're alienated from the life of God, separated, to be separated from the knowledge of what is true, from ultimately the good news. We cannot be in a relationship with the source of all life. 
But then he says it's because of the ignorance that is in them. You, you cannot, here, here is a principle that we see here. You cannot experience God beyond your comprehension of truth. We see this actually in Ephesians chapter 3. Many of you are familiar with this prayer if you just look back one chapter in your Bible. In Ephesians chapter 3, we have this prayer that starts in verse 14 that Paul's praying for the churches in, in Ephesus. And he's praying that they would be strong enough to comprehend, verse 18, to comprehend. That's to understand with the mind what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know, again, with the mind, to know the love of Christ. Why? So that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. This, this is the principle here, is that we, we cannot we cannot be filled beyond our level of comprehension. We cannot experience God beyond what we understand. The mind is the entry point for a relationship with God. It is the ignorance that is in them that has caused what? A hard heart. You see that? Due to their hardness of heart the end of verse 18 there. So Paul doesn't want to give the impression at all that we're victims of our ignorance. Ignorance is the result of dogged unbelief. We see this in Romans chapter 1, that that it's by our unrighteousness that we suppress the truth, right? Our unbelief has caused this ignorance Our ignorance has caused us to be alienated, separated from the God of life, the one who gives us life. And then verse 19, that goes, he goes further with where this leads. He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So we've looked at what what it looks like to have a, a, a mind devoid of truth. Um, now we want to see the results, the results of a mind devoid of truth. So he says, they have become. Notice, did you see that? They, they have become callous. So a mind without truth leads to this. It leads to a kind of moral depravity. How? Well, first of all, without truth, we become callous. Did you see that? They become callous. Now, what does that mean? To become callous, callous means that you no longer feel um, shame or guilt for wrongdoing. Now, I don't know um, if you are aware of this, but shame isn't isn't always a bad thing. In, in, In the West, in our culture, we tend to think of shame as only a bad thing because Um, rightly so, we don't want to walk around carrying shame for sins that have been forgiven, right? That Jesus paid for. But shame is, is not always a bad thing. Shame is actually a tool, according to the scriptures, to protect us from evil. Um, if you look one chapter over in Ephesians chapter five, verse 12, Paul says, it is shameful even to speak 
of the things that they do in secret. Shame, especially in Eastern cultures, in the cultures that the Bible was written in, is a tool to help a person to feel. It's like a warning light that comes on when we begin to move toward evil or we get around it, right? Maybe you've heard the saying, have you no shame? That, that is a saying that means, do you not feel bad for your wrong actions, right? In other words, um, we should feel shame for certain things, right? Sin should cause us to feel conviction. That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. For our, for our conscience to be pricked, for us to feel that, no, this is wrong. This feels, this feels wrong. I need to avoid this. A person who's become callous no longer has that reaction. So shame is a gift that guards us from evil. And without minds equipped with the truth, this is what happens. We become callous to sin. We no longer feel any kind of a warning pop up. We no longer feel pricked in our conscience when we sin, when we lie, or when we grumble, or when we talk bad about somebody behind their back, or when we whatever, right? But the truth, the truth causes us to love what is good and true and beautiful. The truth reveals the way that things really are. And, and we, we become what the Bible says, what the Bible calls children of light. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 8 and 9, Paul instructs them to walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The knowledge of what is true equips us to love what is good and right and true. And then finally, before we move on to what we need to do, we see that without shame, we give ourselves up to sensuality, verse 19. Without any shame to to protect us, to guard us, without any conviction in our conscience, we give ourselves up to sensuality. That word sensuality means to be filled with all manner of lust. We allow ourselves to be filled up with all manner of lust. When our brains are not full of truth, when we're not trained to love what is good and hate what is evil. It's it's giving us this picture. We become like animals driven by instinct. The ruling principle in our lives is, if I want it, I should pursue it. Right? Right? We're driven by unchecked desire. He goes on, he says, we become greedy to practice impurity. That's when when we allow ourselves to be filled with all manner of lust, we become greedy to satisfy that. See the progression? To practice impurity. And so we act on in, in order to try and satisfy every desire. And notice that it says every kind of impurity. This is because pursuing impure desire actually never satisfies. 
And so we, we find a taste, a little bit of satisfaction, and then it just fades away. And so what do we have to do? We have to go to the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. This is a bleak picture, right? Um, but this is the picture of the person who is devoid of truth, whose mind is empty of truth, and, and such were all of us, right? Every single one of us apart from Jesus. This is who we were, and this is where Paul, you know, hinges this passage. He shifts, and he says, verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Our minds were devoid of truth until we learned Christ. This brings me to my third point, and that is that if you will have a mind that is no longer devoid of truth, you must learn the truth. You must learn the truth. I hope that everyone in this room loves learning, because if it were not for learning, you would be lost. Have you ever thought about that? You had to learn Christ. You had to learn the gospel in order to be brought out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you don't love learning today, I want you to shift your thinking. Maybe you're like me, and I, I grew up um, feeling like learning was this thing I had to do. It was a necessary evil, right? So that I could get, so I could get grades, so I could go to college, so I could get a job. But then, like, can I just be done with learning, right? Maybe, maybe that was you. Maybe you grew up that way. Maybe you still have some of that in you. And I just want to encourage you that if it were not for learning, you would still be in this place that we just unpacked. Something happened, and you learned Christ. Why does he say you've learned Christ? He could have said, but that is not the way you learned the gospel, right? He could have easily said that. The reason is because Jesus is the gospel. He is the sum and substance of our faith. It is Jesus who came to save us. It is Jesus who provided the sacrifice that we needed to be right with God. It's Jesus who completely fulfilled the law of God. It's his righteousness that's been given to us. It's Jesus who indwells us, who lives in us, who lives through us, who makes this life possible. He is the sum and substance of our faith. Paul would say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ is the good news. Paul would summarize the message that he preached everywhere he went as Christ and him crucified. 
Jesus is the point of everything we do. He's the point of all of our preaching. He is the point of all of our learning. He's the point of our breathing. Jesus is Lord. He is King. And until we know him, our lives are empty. But when we know him, we come to know the truth. In fact, what we learn in the gospel is that the truth became a man and dwelt among us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth embodied. In Him are all the riches of glory in in, in God. When you see Him, you see the Father. This is the sum and substance of our faith. If you've drifted from Jesus, come back, friend. Colossians 1, 5-6 says that it's in hearing the gospel and understanding it that we are saved. We must hear it and understand it. You learned Christ and you were set free from that life devoid of truth, from that emptiness. Your mind, in other words, serves to direct your heart. Now, it was... Intentional, I believe, that um, that that verse in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, starts with loving the Lord your God with all your heart. And because if you love God with, with your mind, but you bypass your heart, you have missed it. Right? You, you can love God with your mind. You can study God, in other words. You can love to learn about God, I should say, with your mind, but not love God with your heart. But you cannot love God with your heart if you bypass the mind. Your heart cannot know what your mind doesn't know. The mind serves to direct the heart. We see um, an example of this in Colossians 3, 9, and 10. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Growth in the Lord comes through knowledge. So as I'm talking about pursuing Christ, loving Christ with your mind. I'm talking about more than a mere engagement of the intellect, but not less than it. You cannot bypass the mind in a relationship with Jesus. Notice that he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. How is it that we learn? We are taught, right? And we, we are taught by the Holy Spirit who's given to us, and we are taught through the Word. But do you know what one of the primary ways that God intends to teach us, that He intends to teach us through other believers? He intends to speak to us through the other Christians in your church. We need each other. The church is a family of learners, which means it's also a family of teachers. We need each other to 
reprove and rebuke and exhort us. We need each other to admonish us in all wisdom. Um, we, so, so let me ask you this. Do you have a desire to be taught by other Christians? Do you have a desire for that? In, in your church, do you have a desire for, to, to be taught by other Christians in your church? Or do you think that you've already kind of got it figured out and you don't need other Christians? Um, so last year, I decided at almost 40 years of age and after being a pastor for 10 years, I decided to go to seminary. And the reason is because I wanted to be taught. I want wiser Christians than me to teach me because I don't have it all figured out. And every single Wednesday, I go to community group and I'm taught. I, I sit there and I learn from the other Christians in that group. And I hope you have a desire to be taught by other Christians. Do you intentionally try to teach others? Here, if, if the desire to be taught doesn't cause you to want to be at church every single week that you possibly can, I hope that this will drive you to go every single week. You have a role in teaching others. If you're in the Word, if you're learning, if you are in Christ and you are studying the Word, as I hope every Christian here is, then you have something to offer the others in your church. In conversation, you should be spilling over with God's Word. The Word of Christ ought to be dwelling so richly in you that it, that it spills out of your mouth when you talk. So are you teachable? Are you eager to learn from other Christians? Are you, are you eager to teach other Christians? And then finally, one, one other encouragement under this is um, you might not be called to, to seminary, right? Um, you might not be called to go to Bible college. You might not be called to go to some kind of something like that. But you can learn from wise, godly Christians who have gone before you by reading Bible-saturated books. And you might not think that's your thing, but it can be your thing if you decide to make it your thing. And, and, and there's no command in the Scripture that says read Bible-saturated books, but it does say that we are to learn from other Christians. And this is a powerful way to learn from Christians, specifically from Christians of other generations. And, and maybe for you today, the takeaway is I'm going to start trying to become a reader. Maybe you say, I'm not a reader. Maybe for you today, you say, I'm going to start trying to become a reader so that I can learn from Christians who've gone before me. And if you don't know where to start, I promise your pastor loves books. Go talk to him, okay? <laughs> um, so when we become a Christian, it's because we learn something, but our learning doesn't stop there. Um, it doesn't stop once we come to know Jesus or come to know the gospel. It's just the beginning. In fact, the word disciple, maybe you know this, in the Greek, it actually means a learner. 
So if you call yourself a disciple, you are calling yourself a learner. You are a learner, whether you realize it or not. You are a learner of Christ. So we continue learning. That's how we follow Jesus. So what were we taught? Look at verses 22 through 24. We were taught to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And here's my fourth and final point. Transformation comes by learning the truth. So you're saved by learning the truth. Transformation, your ongoing sanctification, comes by learning the truth. What does he say in verse 22? He says, we put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Our old self, that, that it's clear we have to continue to put off, right, is deceived. Did you catch that? It's deceived by, by desires that lie to us, right? Our desires that are, that are part of that old self they tell us lies. And, that, and those lies, we, when believed and we follow through with those desires, those things corrupt us. Um, they convince us of things that are not true. And those lies are very, very convincing. And that's why it's actually really hard to grow in sanctification, isn't it? It's really hard to put off those old desires as we believe lies, the Bible says we are enslaved to those sinful, corrupting desires. But do you see why learning, why pursuing Christ with your mind is so important, is so life-transforming? Because if lying desires enslave us, then learning the truth must, what? Set us free. It seems like someone said that. Before Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, right? And so transformation comes as we recognize the lies that we have believed and we replace those lies with truth. And this is a lifelong process. You're not ever going to get to the point. I don't know how long the, the longest ongoing Christian has been following Jesus in this room, but you're never going to get to the point, never, where you say, I got it. Okay, that was the last, I just checked off the last lie that I had believed, right? And part of the reason is because just like me, you keep having to relearn the same things, don't you? You keep having to be reminded of the same truths year after year, week after week, right? Transformation comes through the renewal of our minds. So we're to put off our old self and become more and more like our new self as our minds are being renewed with the truth. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You actually are becoming a, a completely new creature. 
as your mind is renewed by the truth. In other words, transformation comes through learning. It comes through learning. And so we ought to be people who love learning. The renewal of the mind takes intentionality and effort. So wherever you are in this, if, if you're going to take a step forward, maybe, maybe you've been neglecting the discipline of pursuing the Lord, loving the Lord with your mind for some time. For you, it might feel like if you've ever walked through an overgrown field that no one's walked through in a long time, and it's hard to get through there, right? And you, you've got to like beat down a path and you've got to move briars out of the way. For some of you, if you decide this week to pick up a book and read, it's going to feel a little bit like that. Just be ready. But I say that to say, if you keep walking that same path, the path gets easier. The briars get pushed down. The weeds get moved over to the side. The, the earth gets packed. And your brain is that way. And so if you begin to read books that are challenging to you in a few months, those books won't feel so challenging. Maybe you haven't been in the discipline of being in God's Word every morning. If you haven't been doing that and you just get started this week, it's going to feel like walking through an overgrown field. But if you'll stick with it, if you'll keep doing it, then that path will become easier. So, let's talk about what this might mean for you. If you're to love Christ with all your heart, that means you cannot neglect loving Him with all your mind. So, first of all, as I've said, you need to throw off any negative um, attitude that you might have toward learning. Throw it off. You are a learner. You're always learning whether you realize it or not. The culture is teaching you. Media is teaching you. Your friends and family are teaching you. Your coworkers are teaching you. You are learning all the time. Whether you are intentional about that or not, but you are a disciple of Jesus, which means that you must intentionally pursue learning the truth. You are a learner of Christ. So decide today never to plateau as a learner of Jesus. Not when you're 19 or 90. Do not ever plateau in your pursuit of Christ with all of your mind. So for some of you, I'm just going to give you a few applications. This may mean that you commit today to reading your Bible every day. You get up and you, you start with 20, 30 minutes reading the Bible. Pick a book of the Bible and read through it beginning to end. If you're not doing that already, if you're not already spending time in, in God's Word, then start right there. Nothing will change your life more than that discipline. Um, others of you, you have been reading God's Word, but you need to commit today to dig deeper, to, to go a little bit below the surface, to start pulling verses apart and phrases apart and paragraphs apart and chapters apart and writing things down. And you need to, to go deeper in your study of God's Word. For others of you, maybe you've been doing both of those things, and I would challenge you to start reading Bible-saturated books, books that um, 
that are filled with truth and that expound on things, books that talk about Christians who've gone before us, their experiences, their, their knowledge, and let those stretch and challenge your mind. For others of you, you just need to commit today to learn from the godly believers around you. Maybe you realize that you've been attending church, but you haven't been coming with a learner's spirit, with a teachable spirit. And so today you need to realize I'm coming, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to start coming every single week with a desire to learn from those around me. Or maybe it's time for you to join a community group to get more plugged in so that you have that that place and those people that can speak into your life. Or maybe for you, you need to seek someone out who's further down the road than you to disciple you. But you need to learn from other Christians. Perhaps a few in this room are, are being called to receive training from their church to be- become either a pastor or a deacon or a church planter. Um, that's something for you to talk with your pastor about. And maybe some of you are feeling a call. Uh, You don't know how to even express it in words yet. But you feel a call today that God is wanting you to start a church one day. And that's going to mean some intentional training. That's going to mean pursuing Christ more diligently with your mind between now and the day that that happens. So pray about what your next step needs to be if you're going to pursue the Lord with all your mind. And then write down whatever He shows you. You have a little commitment card there. You can write that down. And then I would encourage you to go beyond writing it down, and I would say make a plan to start doing that. If you make a plan, if you write it down, you're more likely to to do the things that you are feeling God leading you to do. If you make a plan, you're even more likely to follow through with that. But we're going to have some time later today for you to really pray into this, really seek God on this. Um, maybe there's someone here today and, um, and you don't yet know Jesus. Maybe, maybe you came because a, a friend invited you or you've been attending church for a little while, but you still aren't connecting with all of this. And I just want to encourage you today that you can know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You can know the God who made you. The Bible says that all of us are sinners, that we have been separated from God by our rebellion against a holy God, but that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth as a man. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He went to the cross and died in our place. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. And if you believe that today, and you've never believed that before, then you can become a Christian today. It's as simple as saying, God, I have been a sinner. I have run in another direction, I've run away from you my whole life, and I'm ready to stop running, and I'm ready to come to know you. If that's you, I hope that you will surrender your life to him today. I hope that you will understand the grace of God that's been given to you through Jesus in truth and be saved. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, God, there, um, there, there are a hundred things that might pull us away and distract us from the very thing that you are wanting to say to us. But Father, I pray that in this very moment, whatever it is that you are saying to each and every one of us, it would become abundantly clear and that you would help us, give us your grace through your Son to walk in obedience to whatever it is that you're calling us to do. I pray, Lord, that we would, all of our churches, we would be churches that love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.